I just think of the dogs that I, I can save. There's still another dog I can save. There's still another dog I can save. And that's what, that's what keeps me from quitting. listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 60 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Today, I'm excited for you to meet Susan Shahoda of Westside German Shepherd Rescue based in Los Angeles, California. But as you'll hear, Westside German Shepherd Rescue is not limited to just German shepherds, nor are they limited to just Los Angeles, California. The rescue community is so near and dear to my heart, and I'm kind of surprised that we've made it through 60 episodes without really diving into the rescue world. I was really excited to talk to Susan and really dive into what it's like to run a rescue organization. Westside German Shepherd Rescue is celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, as well as celebrating having adopted out over 20,000 dogs in those 20 years. Those are some amazing numbers. Most of the rescue organizations that I'm familiar with are just a couple people who are working out of their homes. In fact, one of the most successful pit bull rescue organizations in Baltimore celebrated adopting out 1,000 dogs over a 10-year period, whereas Westside German Shepherd Rescue is adopting out 1,000 dogs a year, and that just blows my mind, the, the scope and the scale of that. Susan and I are going to cover everything from her love of shepherd dogs and how she first started volunteering in the animal welfare world, to why she loves doing transports so much, and what are all the different volunteer opportunities within a rescue organization. We talk about what the best parts and what the hardest parts are of being in the rescue world, and what the rescue lifestyle is like being on call 24-7. Susan shares with us what help keeps her going when there are hard times during rescue, and we talk about the impact of COVID on the animal shelters and animal rescues throughout the U.S., And Susan will also share with us the lessons she learned from Laurel, the rescued German shepherd with special needs who suffered permanent neurological effects after being sick with the distemper virus. I certainly believe that for many of us, our dogs can be the greatest healers, teachers, and inspirations in our life. And now I'm so excited for you to hear from Susan Shahoda and what this looks like in her life. So we are here today with Susan Shahoda of the Westside German Shepherd Rescue. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me today. I'm so excited to do this. I'm really excited. I have so much I want to talk to you about. You know, the rescue community is very near and dear to my heart. And I realized I had never really done an episode really kind of diving into what the rescue world looks like. And so I'm really excited to talk with you about that today. But I always love to start out by asking about your childhood experiences with animals. Mm. And for instance, I never actually had a dog until I was 25. I didn't even know I liked dogs. And so (laughs) 
I'm always curious to know what that looked like for you. Are you somebody who grew up with pets? Yes, we uh, had dogs and cats growing up. And uh, we always, always had plenty of dogs, not just one. We always had more than one dog. We always had several cats as well. So I'm very, very familiar with dogs from a a young age. Um, My parents were originally into Weimaraners. I'm from the Midwest and Weimaraners are very big in the Midwest. And we started off with Weimaraners and then we started getting dogs that are mixed breeds, but um, they were all rescues, actually, even back then when rescues weren't, the word rescue really wasn't the word people used. It was more, and I, I, I hate hearing this word, but people still use the word pound for mm-hmm. shelters. So um, we got all of our dogs from shelters. And so I was very familiar with getting dogs that had, were homeless or owner turned in from a really young age. Uh, so I'm, I feel grateful for that because it's so natural for me. It's absolutely so natural to me to want to help dogs in need. So you have to tell us, how did you get into German Shepherds and how yeah. did you get into rescue? Well, when I was out here in, I'm, I'm living in LA, Los Angeles with my husband. And when we moved out here, we were in an apartment and I always wanted to get a house for one reason only, to have dogs. That was really it. So we pursued to get a house and immediately got a dog, which happened to be a rescue dog and uh, from a local shelter. And I started to see immediately the need for helping this shelter, which wasn't too far from our house. So I started volunteering there and learned so much so quickly about dogs coming to a shelter and where they came from and was introduced to so many rescues just from that shelter. And so I gravitated towards the breed that we had, which he was a Dutch shepherd. And so I gravitated towards that rescue, which was, it's out here in California, but as I've learned from being in rescue, it's it's borderless. You, you don't have to be helping a rescue in your town. You can but you can help rescues that are based anywhere. So this rescue was based in around Sacramento, California, and I got involved with doing transport work for Dutch Shepherd Rescue. And it just grew from there. And so I said to myself, well, maybe there's a local rescue. And there was Westside German Shepherd Rescue. So I went and started volunteering there. And it just grew from there. And uh, now I volunteer with many different rescues. And uh, my main one is Westside German Shepherd Rescue. But I also help do transport for other rescues that need me to help them. And how long have you been involved in this rescue world? About 15 years now. So you mentioned that you were a transport volunteer. And I, I really wanted to dive into like how a rescue works and to separate out that, like the relationship between a rescue and a shelter and that these are different things. And so most rescues are actually their own separate 501c3 nonprofits. They have to do all their own fundraising. They're not, you know, generally not the organizations that are like contracting to get the the city animal control contract or anything right. like they're all independent. Am I, I'm explaining this correctly, right? Exactly. Uh, but yes, that's exactly right. With another big difference, our rescues are no kill. They're rescuing dogs. Uh, um, shelters 
they euthanize dogs. Um, they have to for many reasons, but rescues do not do that. Generally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unless there's like some extreme reason. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so tell us about like, what is a transport volunteer? Well, it's funny that you would say that right away because I always joke that in my former life, I must have been a long haul trucker because <laughs> I love being on the road rescuing dogs more so, I think, than any other volunteer at our rescue. So when I went, um, we have a new volunteer program and you go through an orientation for one day. It's for four hours. And I went through that volunteer um, program and they ask you, what would you like to do for the rescue? And immediately I said, transport. And so I'm thinking, you know, as I left that day, I went through uh, in my mind, oh, I'm so excited about this. I hope I, you know, can do some more work with them. By the time I got home, I got a call from Westside German Shepherd Rescue. We saw you wanted to do transport. Can you go and pick up a dog tomorrow? <laughs> and I was like, first of all, I was so thrilled. Like, wow, they called me back. And wow, I can help immediately. So what I do as a transporter, and I am the main transporter for Westside German Shepherd Rescue, is I sometimes weekly, sometimes twice a week, go up to often different shelters. As a matter of fact, just last Saturday, I was up in Desert Hot Springs at a very remote shelter, picking up some dogs for Westside German Shepherd Rescue, rescuing them from the shelter. They don't have adopters. They don't have visitors. They rely solely on rescues coming up and getting the dogs out of their shelter because it's the only way they're going to get out alive. So last weekend, I went three hours up to this shelter in the desert. And on Wednesday of that same week, I went to another shelter two hours away and picked up four dogs. So I'm on the road every weekend and oftentimes on a Wednesday to get dogs from different shelters all across the state of California. I've also gone to Arizona, by the way. So I, I can go basically anywhere. And I'm very fortunate to be able to have the flexibility in my work schedule to be able to do it. And so when a dog comes into the shelter, whether this is like an owner surrender situation, an animal control situation, you know, we most likely think of, well, then the dogs get adopted. Mm -hmm. But what happens a lot of times is the shelters will hopefully uh, work with these different rescue organizations and use that as a way to get dogs out of the shelter also, right? Absolutely. Many of the bigger shelters here in California have rescue coordinators at their shelters. And those are the shelters that are very fortunate because they literally have someone calling rescues, getting to know the rescues, calling them up with desperate situations of pregnant dogs or mama dogs that uh, are still nursing with their puppies or, or injured dogs that they can immediately get on the phone, get on the social networking to tell rescues they have these urgent dogs. They need to get help. Shelters do not, and I'll speak from California, shelters do not have medical supervision. They do not have the ability to do surgeries. They do not have the ability to do much medication. If a dog comes in that has a broken leg, the most they can probably do is wrap it. But they can't, you know, they don't have the, the capability to help dogs that are in medical distress. So those are the dogs that often get called to rescues right away. 
So yes, uh, the bigger ones have rescue coordinators. The one that I went up to um, this weekend up in the desert did not. It simply had a staff member who is desperate to get these dogs out alive. So she spends her, and she's a hero in my mind because she spends her days and nights, even when she's away from the shelter, texting, calling, emailing, social networking, rescues like us to save even just one dog through a rescue. These are the heroes I I see almost daily. So for instance, if a dog in another part of California, you know, a German shepherd or other shepherd type dog, they might contact you like, hey, can you take this dog? And then that frees up space in the shelter. Yes. To bring in another dog. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And we get pleas, hundreds of pleas a day, not just from shelters, but from people, owner surrenders, people who are desperate, people who love their dogs, but are moving or a family situation has changed, financial situation, call us and just beg us to help them. So um, we get calls, not just from shelters, but from Ordinary people, citizens, concerned citizens. Does your uh, rescue take owner surrenders or do you only work with um, shelters? No, we take in owner surrenders. We get dogs tied to our door that are we take in. Wow. And I must say right away, we don't get just German shepherds. I mean, we started out that way, but we take in almost every single breed that meets the requirements that are dog friendly, do not have bite records. We take in all kinds of breeds. And for unfortunately, that's what we're seeing more of, all kinds of breeds um, right now. It's a really um, difficult time for rescues and difficult time for shelters, difficult time for dog owners. Yeah. So I've heard of kind of two different models of rescue and you can tell me which one uh or maybe it's a combination of both uh you're familiar with so some rescues operate as like all foster homes so it's like all volunteers who will take a dog into their personal home until the dog is adopted and then i've heard of other uh organizations that have like a kennel whether it's a commercial kennel and they are paying essentially to ha- house the dog there or they have like their own kennel type facility. So uh, which one of these, does one of these apply to you or a combination? Yes, it's a hybrid of all three of those, actually. We have kennels. We have uh, more than 100 kennels in a facility in downtown Los Angeles. We also have fosters, which we always need more fosters. And we also, when we get overcrowded at our own kennel and we just can't turn away a dog, we will work with other kennels to kennel these dogs to save their lives. And and that's what we're doing a lot of now. Our kennels are full. Our re- our fosters are at capacity. And yet we are getting as I said plea after plea after plea that we just are they're heartbreaking and we have to make that terrible decision and I call it a Sophie's choice decision daily of what dog are we going to take and what dog are we going to have to say no to. So we do work with all three of those situations, the kennels of our own, a foster, and working with a commercial kennel to be able to bring in more dogs. I'm just imagining, like, it's got to be exhausting and heartbreaking work to see these messages come in all day. Mm -hmm. Um, 
is there like one person who handles all these? Is there a committee? Like how, how is that decision made of, of yes, we can, can make room for this dog? Right. It's our, it's the founder. It's Robin Jampol. She is the one who makes the decision. She works with the rest of us on the board and she talks with us and we all know about these pleas that she's getting. But whatever, and by the way, we're all getting the pleas from who work on the board and volunteers. Um, it's a small rescue community, even nationwide. We we get to know each other because we're all trying to do the same thing. And we're all relying on that village to help these dogs. But at the end of the day, she makes the decision and we will tell her about pleas that we're getting and we'll talk to her and she makes a decision of, yes, we can bring in this dog or we can't help all all these dogs. I mean, that's what it really comes down to is we all have that thing we have to say. Unfortunately, we can't help save every single dog. We wish we could, but we can't. So how many dogs are in your rescue organization like at any given time? Well, there are 120 dogs right now in our kennels. Wow. Um, We have uh, more than 40 dogs in our fosters and we have probably 12 dogs right now offsite. Wow. It's a lot of dogs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what is like, uh, for like the dogs who are in the, or in your kennel facility, the 120, so who's like caring for them? I mean, that's a lot of dogs. It is a lot of dogs. And you know, that is the staff that we hire. Those are the only staff that we have are the, are the kennel workers. Um, they are the ones who are on site 24 seven. We have some people there 24 seven feeding the dogs, um, making sure they're okay, washing the dogs. They're the ones who are taking care of the dogs physically. Now we have more than 300 volunteers who come every single day, not 300 of them, but every single day we have volunteers come and walk the dogs, um, stay with the dogs outside our facility on our adoption days, which are Wednesday, Saturdays, and Sundays. We have a plethora of volunteers out there showing the dogs, um, being with the dogs, washing the dogs, brushing the dogs. We also have a training program that we have on Saturdays and Sundays that we invite volunteers to come, take some of the dogs that we have in our kennels and work with our trainers. So they're getting out and trained. One thing that a lot of people say when they adopt from Westside German Shepherd Rescue, your dogs are so well-trained. We really, really work with our dogs to make them more adoptable. And that's part of it, training them. So we encourage our volunteers to come down and get a part of our training program. As I was mentioning at the very beginning, we have a volunteer program and I took on the transport end of it, but we also ask our volunteers to come in and and walk them. We also ask them to come in and train them or to brush them or to just sit with them. That's very important for us too. I got to tell you, the, the scope of this is so amazingly impressive to me. Like this is a really large organization. Most of the rescues that I've seen are more like a mom and pop or yeah, I guess even like a mom, because uh, it's usually <laughs> women, <laughs> like, uh, you know, kind of organization, somebody trying to run it out of their house, you yeah. know, um, like this is really impressive what what has been built with Westside. Absolutely. Kudos to Robin Jampol, our founder. And it's been 20 years. It's our 20 year anniversary. And oh, wow. it was she started the whole um, rescue 20 years ago. And it's just grown from there. And it's really she's the heart and soul and the savior and angel of these dogs. I mean, we've we're up to nearly 20,000 
dog saved wow. a thousand a year. And it's, it's so impressive, even more so now in these difficult times that we're going through as a, as a rescue. Um, she is just a, an amazing, amazing hero to all of us. Yeah, that that's those are some amazing numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I believe me, all the volunteers are. We are so beyond grateful to be a part of this. I mean, it really, it, it the staff takes care of the dogs while they're there, but it's the volunteers that really do the rest of the work: getting the dogs adopted, getting them trained, getting them promoted like this, promoting who we are so that we can have more adopters, more fosters, more donors. I mean, that really is what it comes down to our survival or these elements that keep it running. So tell us about finding adopters. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that's always the goal, right? Is we have all these dogs, we got to find people to, so do you, what, what, do you have a process? Like, do you do a lot of social media? You know, what does that look like for you guys? Yes, we do do a lot of social media. We do um, a lot of videos on our dogs, get them posted on our websites, get them posted on other social media platforms. We do photos. We have a professional photographer who also is a volunteer with us. Um, That's another thing I have to say. There are so many ways you can volunteer with Westside German Shepherd Rescue, and they're not your traditional way of, as I said, maybe walking the dog or sitting with dogs. You could be a photographer. You could be a videographer. Um, there's so You could be a social media expert with us. So there's so many different ways. But yes, we do social media. We do um, on our Facebook pages, our website, videos of the dogs. We um, have our, our volunteers out talking about the dogs to get us promoted. We are using Nextdoor a lot. In terms of encouraging our adopters, our volunteers to use Nextdoor to introduce their neighborhood to us. Because what better way to introduce Westside German Shepherd Rescue than your neighbor who is already involved? That's awesome. Um, so we, we do a lot of that as well. So it's, it's a multi-pronged system of getting the word out about us and what we do and our, get our adoptions up. So that is a really good question because our adoptions really need to get, they, they've, they haven't been as good as they have been in the past, but we are really working with our volunteers to get the word out more about Westside German Shepherd Rescue and the amount of dogs we have. And also that we don't just have German Shepherds. We have a plethora of breeds, big and small, young and old. And so as soon as somebody adopts from you, that then opens up another space, right? To pull another dog that needs help. Yes. And not just that, as soon as someone fosters for us, we have space. Okay. So that's why we also really encourage fostering because you may think, you know, that, oh, well, it didn't open up space, but it really did. By you bringing home the dog and fostering for us allows us to get another dog. And by the way, fostering is an amazing way to get a dog adopted because the foster now can take those videos. He or she can get those photos. He or she can promote on social media the dog that is now in their home. And that dog becomes instantly more adoptable in a foster home. Adopters want to know that the dog is potty trained. Doctors want to know that the dog is socialized in a home and doesn't, you know, wreck things or is dog friendly or can go to a, a dog park. And a foster can do all of this for us that we cannot do in our kennels. I mean, I was really thinking that rescue, being involved in the rescue world is sort of a lifestyle in and of 
itself. And I, I was kind of laughing when we first were doing scheduling a meet and greet. You were like, oh, we're going to have to reschedule because I got to go grab this dog. Yes. And uh, and I was just laughing to myself just from people I know here in Baltimore. I can remember it was probably 10 or more years ago now, but the organization I volunteer with, we were collaborating with a rescue and we were at this, you know, we had set up this meeting. It was like seven o'clock on like a Thursday night. And the woman, one of the women gets this call and she's like, I got to go. I got to go grab this dog. You know? yes. And uh, it really is like this lifestyle of, of kind of being on call for, for dogs is. in need. It is. And, you know, when that's so true, it's like being on call. And many people who are not in rescue don't realize that minutes really count, especially when a dog is at a shelter and it may be on the youth list and we just found out about it. Then, you know, we had to drop everything and get to that shelter before they close. That's just how it is. I mean, the shelters work with us to some extent, but they also have lives too. They also have to be with their policies of, you know, this dog has to be out by this time. So it is drop everything and go rescue a dog. Also, dogs that are hurt and injured on the side of the road or in a field or in an orchard. Out here in the desert, there are a lot of orchards and many dogs are dumped in the deserts. We find out about it. We have to go, go, go. That dog is not going to survive without us getting there immediately. So it is like being on call. Yes, it is. One of the terms I've I've heard a lot in animal welfare is like compassion fatigue mm-hmm. or burnout. Yes. Um, like I think it's amazing that you've been doing this for 15 years, you know, because I know some people who get really into it, you know, for five or 10 years. And then it's like, whoa, like, you yes. know, I'm in another chapter of life, another season of life. Like, you know, uh, what what is it that helps you keep going? Have you ever experienced this kind of burnout? Yes, I, I I see it all the time. And believe me, I, I, again, I'll relate to something that just happened this weekend when I went up to that desert shelter and I could only take one dog at the end of the day and had to leave the rest of them because for whatever reason, they weren't fits. They weren't, it, it just didn't work for us. I cried the whole way home. I cried for two reasons. I cried because of all the dogs I had to leave. And I cried happiness for the dog that I was able to save. And I just knew that when I got home, I was going to network like crazy all the dogs that I saw there. When I was there, even though they're not breeds, they're not, they're, they don't fit the requirements that I could take them. What I did was take videos, take photos. I started networking the minute I got home with other rescues in, in an effort to save the dogs that I couldn't bring back that day. And that happens Every time I go out, I cry on the way home for the dogs that I couldn't save and the dog that I did save. Or it's usually dogs that I save. My car is usually filled with dogs, by the way, (laughs) um, that I could save. And so, yes, I go highs and lows. Every time I save a dog, highs and lows. It's just how it is. And I I battle with it internally daily. it's a struggle for me daily. And some reason I keep getting up and do it. I just think of the dogs that I, I can save. There's still another dog I can save. There's still another dog I can save. And that's what, that's what keeps me from quitting because if I quit, that's one less person helping save dogs. That's, that's really it. If I quit, there could be a dog that may not make it today. So that's how I deal with it. 
I feel like it's a really emotional. It's just really emotional. And I don't know if everybody knows that. (laughs) It's so emotional. I mean, yes, the things I've seen are, can be so sad and so depressing and make me so angry. And then on the flip side of that, I've seen some of the most wonderful things in my life being a part of rescue. I've seen heroes after heroes after heroes, like the woman I just mentioned at the the desert shelter who does exactly what I do. She goes home and she networks these dogs because she has to. She's driven like I'm driven to do this. I see the light as well as see the darkness. And I have to stay with all the light that I see because there is a lot of darkness in this, in rescue. There just is. So I would imagine like the best day ever is when you can help get a dog in a new family and a new home and get them adopted. <laughs> right. It is. And it, it's the best day ever, especially because these are the dogs that I'm often getting from the shelters or from the side of the road. So when I follow, when I get to follow through and it's mostly all the time I get to follow through with these dogs and see them in these homes, it is the most amazing feeling. And, you know, it's also wonderful because most of the people that adopt the dogs that I've originally gotten, I remain friends with them throughout the dog's life. It's really, really amazing um, circle of life for me. It really is. My friends, uh, the the amount of people I know is incredibly large because of working with this rescue. That's beautiful. <laughs> it is. I have to say it is so wonderful to see this and to have these people that uh, adopt the dogs across the country that I, I've saved, send me emails, send me photos, send me texts out of the blue, how well the dog is doing. I mean, just nothing makes me happier than to, to get those those photos, those texts, those calls. It's just wonderful. I had a situation several months ago where somebody in my husband's family uh, had a dog and they weren't physically or financially really able to take care of her anymore. She was a 12-year-old little poodle mix, Mm -hmm. mostly blind. And I feel like I called in every favor in the world to try to network this dog and find a home for her. And we did. And it was like exactly what I had in mind. It was like a retired woman who um, she had had like over 60 special needs dogs uh, Mm -hmm. in her house through fostering before, but she kind of retired from fostering. And, And so it was in Ohio, which was, I think, about 500 miles from us. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. we're, you know, and my husband and I had this one day road trip up and back to, you know, get this, this dog in this home. And yeah, so it's like eight months later now. And like, she still sends me photos and, yes. you know, and just, oh my God, it just makes my heart so happy because this dog, she's such a sweet, special little girl. And I just, I'm so glad she's now in a place where, you know, she she's being cared for the way that she should be. Absolutely. And you know, you're a perfect example of that passion to help this dog no matter what. You know, I mean, you just. It was exhausting, though. (laughs) And it was just one dog. (laughs) Just one dog. And you know what we always say in rescue? We always say it takes one dog, one person to abandon a dog, but a village to save it. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, it is absolutely so true. And it's this village of wonderful heroes that you're a part of. And it's incredible. We all, we don't, it, it binds us. I mean, you're not in California. I'm in California. You're out East. And yet we have so much in common because of this love 
for dogs. It bonds us forever. So one of the things I was always, I'm always curious about, because I've heard from people before about how some people feel that, and every rescue is different, of course, um, that it's too difficult to adopt a dog from a rescue or that there's a lot of hoops to jump through or, um, you know, oh, it would have been easier to, you know, adopt a child than, you know, to adopt. These are all just things I've heard over, over the years, you know. And now, granted, every single rescue organization is its own independent organization. So they get to make the policies about mm-hmm. what they want in, in their uh, adopters. And, and I would imagine once you've invested a lot of time and money and energy into saving a dog, you know, you want them to go to the right place. Mm-hmm. And you also want to go to somewhere where they're not going to end up coming back to you <laughs> in six months. Absolutely. So I was wondering if you could tell us about your organization's adoption policies and kind of the thought that, that kind of goes into to making them. Right, exactly. Um, yes, we when we take in a dog, we are committed to that dog for life. So we want to make sure he or she does go to an appropriate family. And we want to make sure the family is getting the right dog. That's the other thing. It may You may have to go through an online application. Everyone does for us. We do have an online application. But as much as we want to make sure that dog gets the right home, we're doing this for the adopter. Because we have, as I said, 120 dogs at our facility. How could one adopter know which dog is right for them with all of those dogs? We want to get to know that adopter before he or she comes in. So we have this online application that does ask you know, qu- pretty standard questions of you know where you live, why you want a dog, what kind of dog you want, what's your experience with dogs, um, do you have a vet, you know, where will the dog sleep? Yes, it, it is um, rather, you know, it does ask a lot of questions. Yes, it does. But again, it's as much for us to get to know them as for them to get to know us as well. So that when they come in, we have adoption counselors. That's another thing you can volunteer for, by the way. Adoption counselors that work with each one of our potential adopters coming in. So you fill out an application online. You then come in on any of our adoption days. And then if you're approved, you work with an adoption counselor who all of our adoption counselors have detailed notes on all of our dogs. That's another thing you can volunteer for. You can do evaluations of our dogs, create notes for each one of the dogs. So the adoption counselor can work with the potential adopter coming in that day with an approved application. And we ask that they bring in a list of dogs that they want to meet. And then we go through that list and say, oh, well, that's great. But what maybe you... By, because you have children under five, maybe this dog would be better for you. Or you are a runner. This dog's very active. Maybe this dog would be perfect for you to be able to run with you. Or if you are just want a dog to take to Starbucks, dog friendly, cat friendly, and you don't really want you have time to exercise, this dog would be good for you. So yes, we do have, an, uh, as I said, an online application. You get approved. An adoption counselor will call you, tell you to come in, or you can come in on your own on any of our adoption days and work with our adoption counselors and go from there and adopting a dog. So what would be like a reason that somebody wasn't approved? Well, if they weren't, didn't have, let's say, if they lived in an apartment and hadn't checked with their landlord yet as if 
their apartment is even dog friendly. We have that a lot. We have people from apartments come in and okay, we get it. You want a dog, but does your apartment allow dogs? Yes, they allow dogs. Okay. What kind of dogs? Here in California, some of our apartments, they don't allow all breeds. And one, one of the breeds is often German, German shepherd. shepherd. <laughs> Purebred German shepherds, not shepherd mixes. So we get that a lot. People who have not checked with their landlord on the specific kind of breeds they can bring in. Um, we also will have people come in and they haven't told us they have cats. So they they want a dog that's cat friendly, but they pick a dog from our list that isn't cat friendly. So they want that particular dog that isn't cat friendly. We know it's not cat friendly. We test all our dogs for cats, by the way, um, seriously with cats in a cat room. I mean, we do a lot of work in understanding if the dog is cat friendly or not. So if a person wants a specific dog that is not cat friendly and they have a cat, we can't adopt that a dog to them. It's right. too dangerous. So that's another reason why we wouldn't adopt to them. One of the things that was just popping into my head, uh, I'm just curious if you if you ever run into this. So, you know, with us being pit bull people, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very funny when when my my husband's the one who who had really wanted to adopt pit bulls and I didn't know I literally knew nothing about dogs and I didn't know anything about like the image or the reputation or, you know, that people have these thoughts about you, you know, these this prejudgment or, or whatever mm-hmm. when you have a, a pit bull. And and in a weird way, I always think it's sort of appropriate because I'm a very sort of don't judge a book by its cover kind of person. Right. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's so appropriate that that's the dog that I that I ended up with. And so I was sort of, you know, the, a certain like image or something often comes to mind of like certain types of people who are drawn to pit bull dogs. And I was thinking about this with German shepherds also, although it's probably like a complete 180 from <laughs> the, the, the typical uh, thought about pit bull people. But, um, you know, do you have people who like want like a guard dog or, you know, is that something like, for instance, that would send a red flag to you? It does. Absolutely. We, we rescue dogs from what we call junkyard mm-hmm. um, dogs that they're just used as guard dogs and thrown out into an area just to keep people away. We absolutely red flag that. And we know the signs of when people are filling out an application for a dog like that. And one of the biggest signs for us with that one is the dog is an outside dog. Right. If they say their dog is only going to be an outside dog, that's a huge red, red flag for us. We we are very concerned about that. Um, we also want to know what they're their backyard looks like. If they um, say the dog is going to be inside, outside, we want to know what the outside is going to look like. So we do ask that they show us photos of their backyard or the fencing that they have as well. So we know they're not going to escape. So yeah, we do have people who are looking specifically for a guard dog. And, you know, these are some of the dogs that we're saving. We don't want to put them back in a facility or a place from which we're saving them. So one of the things that I always think is so cool about German Shepherd dogs is, uh, you know, that they are so like high drive mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, they're often involved in like dog sports and, and things like that. Have you ever had any experiences like that with your dogs? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was attracted to Dutch Shepherds and Belgian Malinois 
which I have both of, and German Shepherds as well. Um, it's funny you said that about what kind of person perhaps would come and look for a German Shepherd. We, the number one thing that we hear with people coming in looking for a German Shepherd is because they're so smart. People like people go to German Shepherds because they they are smart, but we don't just have German Shepherds. That's what's so funny. But people think German Shepherds are so smart and they want really smart dogs. But yes, um, many German Shepherds uh, do do sports. Many of the German Shepherds that we rescue do do sports, agility, rings, mondo rings, protection work, by the way, um, with a trained person who can help their dog do protection work. Um, so yes, I do that. And other people who come to us look for dogs specifically for the type of athletic work with their dog. We love that, by the way. Yeah, I've, uh, I got to see some, there's actually like a sport version of search and rescue dogs. Yeah. And I got to go out and, and watch that in action. And I was so utterly and completely shocked at how fast they are at finding the the person that's hiding or, or something. Like, I was utterly shocked at just like how fast it all happens. <laughs> yes. Isn't it amazing? Their athletic ability is incredible. It's so beautiful to watch. I mean, yeah. they just, they're just incredible dogs. They really are. Absolutely. So you have alluded a couple times to, uh, how right now has been a really hard time in the rescue and, and the shelter world. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us more about that? Is that has COVID uh, times sort of had an impact on the shelter and rescue world? Absolutely. It was a godsend and then also a very um, difficult thing to happen because at the beginning of the pandemic, we, like so many other rescues, were inundated with people who wanted to foster dogs or adopt dogs during the pandemic. So we had more people lining up out our doors than we had ever seen. We thought it was the most amazing thing. But if you've been in rescue as long as I have and other people in rescue, we also knew there was a dark side coming. And indeed, it came. As, as the pandemic waned, people were going back to work. We were being flooded with people returning dogs, not necessarily dogs that they adopted from us, by the way, just returning dogs that they had either gotten from shelters or had found, or just bringing in dogs that they could no longer take care of because they were going to work. So their lifestyles had changed back to the way they were pre-pandemic. So they were bringing them to us they were bringing them to the shelters. The shelters are just overwhelmed now with dogs. And what is really sad that I'm seeing happening is on any given day at a shelter here in California and across the country, you will have people lining up to surrender their dogs. And the line to adopt dogs is maybe two or three people, but you'll have 50 people lined up to return dogs. And those are the very dogs that the shelter is going to be calling the rescues about to help save. And that's exactly what's happening now. Our adoptions are very low. Um, people aren't adopting the way they were pre-pandemic. And they're not adopting from most rescues. Most rescues are in the same boat. And certainly all shelters are in the same boat. People just are not adopting. They're returning dogs, not adopting them. Yeah, it's been really sad to watch and to see how many pleas are going out um, and to see, yeah, I, I guess it was so exciting when, when all of the, the kennels were being emptied and, and 
and then knowing like, oh, there's going to be a, a backlash coming. And I'm just imagining what an emotional roller coaster these last few years have, have been for the rescue and shelter communities. They have been. And I, I really wish the good times would have lasted longer because it was so wonderful to have. I mean, we had nearly every single dog adopted out of our kennels during COVID. I mean, we were just thrilled. And then the shelters had so many dogs adopted. They weren't calling us. It was really an interesting time. But as I said, we in rescue knew the other side that was eventually going to come. And that's where we are today. And that's what I'm really hoping we get through back to pre-pandemic adoption rates. Um, The shelters uh, hopefully will be able to slow down in having people surrender their dogs And we will get fewer calls from shelters, from people, owner surrenders, from from people who desperately need help in rescuing their dog. We we hope we get back to better times. There is something interesting that, that just sort of pops into my mind. And I was just curious about your thoughts on it, because I've I've had to wrestle uh, with some of this myself and kind of uh, confront some of my own uh, stuff. You know, it's really hard when you work in the rescue and shelter communities or volunteer really in the rescue and shelter communities, you're, you're taking time out of your day. You know, you're not getting paid. You're doing this because you love dogs and you just want to help. And then you see people who are in a situation and they are getting rid of their dogs. And there's a lot of like anger that I have seen towards people. And, and I, I have, I, I know that I know that feeling of anger and frustration and heartbreak. And, and I've really had to realize that like, we can't, it's not enough to just love dogs. We have to love people too. And we have mm-hmm. to realize that everybody's in different situations. Everybody has different resources. Everybody has different bandwidth, uh, you know, to handle right. stressors in their life. Um, and, and is that what does that look like for you? Have you had to confront some of this as well? Absolutely. And I have to say, when people come to our rescue and surrender their dogs, they're treated as respectfully and with as much integrity as somebody who's adopting our dogs. Uh, we understand exactly what you said that there are all kinds of situations that people are going through. And you know what we say at the end of the day? Thank God they brought their dog to us. Yeah. Thank God they brought their dog to a rescue that will take care of this dog. Because you know what? I see people open their doors out in the desert and dump them in the desert. So the ones who come to our rescue actually are people that, you know, we understand. We absolutely understand that. And, you know, we wish they could keep their dogs. But you know what? Wishes don't always come true. So um, we're here to, to not belittle them. We're here to find out what's going on, find out if we can help them keep their dog, by the way. Oftentimes when people come to us and they want to bring back their dog, we've had them work with our trainers so that they can keep their dog. Or they've come to us and they may have needed you know, leashes or collars or harnesses to help them walk their dogs. We give them that. We work with them to see if they can keep their dog. And if they can't, we do not look down on them. We look at, oh, we get history of their dogs. What was their dog like? And then, you know, as I said, 
were actually happy they brought the dog to us and not somewhere else. Yeah, I, I've heard that, you know, oh, heartless people dump their animals at shelters. And, and I actually don't think that those are heartless people. <laughs> I think those are people who are just trying to do the best they can for their dog in their circumstances. Right. Like you said, if they, Absolutely. they dump them in a situation where you would not know about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. Yes. So you had a very special dog in your life named Laurel who had right. a really interesting health situation. And this was the first time I had ever heard about this. Can you tell us about Laurel? Yes. Yes. Laurel is a dog that I rescued up in a shelter in Bakersfield, a couple hours away from Los Angeles. And she uh, looked completely healthy when we got her. And by the time I brought her home to our rescue, she was already exhibiting signs of uh, distress. And it turned out to be distemper. And at that time, it was almost now a year and a half ago, distemper was running wild in many of the shelters here in California. It was really a pandemic, actually, in the shelters here. Anyway, so we we brought I brought her to the rescue. We saw her getting much sicker throughout the day. And we couldn't keep her at the rescue because she was getting so sick. So we went and had her to our, our vet that works with us, had her tested. She tested positive for distemper. I brought her home uh, to stay with us. My dogs are older dogs so that people who under, don't know much about distemper, distemper is usually a puppy uh, virus. Right. Puppies usually get it. Laurel was young. She was over a year, but she had never been vaccinated. She was from an area uh, of California where dogs are not vaccinated usually. And um, so she got it as an older dog. But if you have dogs that are older and have all their vaccines, like we do at our house, your dogs are not going to get distemper. So I was not worried about that. My dogs were older. They've all been vaccinated year after year. Everything is cool. So anyway, we brought her home. And she got sick very quickly from distemper. And distemper comes in three phases. It starts off with what looks like a runny nose. Um, and then it goes in, she had a runny nose. And then it goes into pneumonia. It goes into the chest and becomes pneumonia. She had pneumonia. And she got very, very weak and couldn't walk. And she lost so much weight. And so what we had to do and what often when you bring a dog to a vet that has distemper is they go on IVs and they go on, um, you know, fluids. And then if it gets very extreme, like Laurel got very extreme, she had to have plasma injections, which we all did at Ben. My husband's name is Ben. We did it at our home because we work from home. We could take care of her. And for the first few months, she was extremely sick. She went through the pneumonia phase. Um, we had to hand feed her. We had to give her fluids, as I said. And then after a few months, she started to be able to eat solid food. But we had to hand feed her baby food. And and it was 24 hours, seven. I slept by her at night. Ben slept by her at night to make sure that she got through the night okay. Um, we had to ha carry her out to go to the bathroom um, because she was so weak. 80-pound dog, I'm imagining. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what she should be when she she is today. But at the time, she was probably 30, 40 pounds. She was a skeleton. 
But as she got through the first two phases of distemper, um, she was able to get through the pneumonia and she was able to start eating solid foods. Well, the third phase of distemper are seizures, are um, the tics, are the um, wiggleness, the... um, yeah, she looks like a she like she has Tourette's, like she's convulsing, like neurological. Um, yes, and so that's the phase that she is in still, and she will be for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. So she made it through the first two phases, but then she went into the neurological phase of distemper, and it's ticks and seizures, and so what? We love her. We love her, whether she shakes and falls and doesn't have very good balance. We still love her. And, you know, believe it or not, she actually can do everything our other dogs can do. She can run now. She goes for walks. She goes for hikes. Yes, she looks different. People will see her and go, what's wrong with your dog? And we explain that she had distemper. She doesn't have it anymore. She has the neurological effects of distemper and will for the rest of her life. But she's a love bug and she's such a great dog. And we're so fortunate. We still are fostering her. And we're so fortunate we were able to go through this with her and sit with her because you know what? She taught us resiliency. She taught us grace. She taught us dignity. How to get through laying in your bed and having someone feed you, hand feed you with an IV in you. And like she taught us how you can still love through all of this medical needs that she went through. She, it's quite amazing, really. And I'd imagine it's not like she knows that she's any different. <laughs> no, she doesn't. Now she doesn't. The tics, the seizures are all a part of her life. And she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She still plays with, you know, she goes to the dog park. She goes, plays around. She, as I said, she hikes. She doesn't care what she looks like. People care. We don't care. She doesn't care. She's having the best life ever. Will she stay with you? She will at this point. I mean, as I said, she's ours. She was ours from the very beginning when Ben and I started hand feeding her. She was ours. You know, we knew if she made it through, Ben and I, we'd just take care of her for the rest of her life. That's it. She's, she fits right in with our pack. She's she's an amazing girl. She's our princess warrior. <laughs> I'm, I've talked before on, on the podcast that several years ago uh, I had breast cancer. And it was a real big shock for me. I can't even explain how much of a shock it was to find that out. Mm. And uh, so several years before I was diagnosed, we had lost both of our our previous dogs to different forms of of cancer. And Mm -hmm. uh, they were Lucy and Kahlua. And Mm. Kahlua had a very quick, by the time we figured out something was wrong, she was gone kind of situation. Whereas Lucy hung in there for, you know, over a year and a half through, you know, we didn't do like a chemo, but she was getting different medicines to manage her, her, her specific illness, which was a very rare illness that took forever to get diagnosed. Mm. And, and I have these videos of Lucy where, you know, she's been sick for a year. She's bloated from being on steroids. Uh, You know, she had, torn her meniscus uh, Mm -hmm. and yet she's out in the yard and you know and she's this 12 year old gray face pit bull and she's stalking the squirrel through (laughs) 
running as best as she can with her yeah. knee and this right. bloated belly. And, and like that specific image stayed in my mind throughout my whole, my whole cancer treatment, you know, and right. like, she's not even here anymore, but she's still teaching me about how to get through life. And, and that absolutely to get through it was to just, I just wanted to keep going. I didn't want it to slow me down. I, I wanted to still chase all the squirrels, you know? Yeah. That's Laurel. That's exactly Laurel. And, you know, as I said, you would never know that she was a different dog unless she stopped running. And then you start to see all the ticks and the spasms. But from her heart, she's as happy as all of our other dogs or any other dog in this world that's, you know, loved and taken care of. That's Laurel. She's just an amazing, amazing story of of resiliency, really, really resiliency. And that's another thing in working with rescue. I see this all the time. I see this with dogs that are tripods, three-legged dogs. They have a a leg taken from them and we look at it as, oh my God, how are they going to get around? Almost immediately after having this, the leg amputated, whether it's in the front or the back, these dogs are up and moving about. They just get on with life. And it's so beautiful to watch. It is so beautiful to be a part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, you are doing such amazing work with Westside German Shepherd Rescue. What do you want people to know about adopting shepherd type dogs? Right. Well, first of all, I want them to know that for Westside German Shepherd Rescue, we adopt all over the country. So if you go to our website, sheprescue.org, take a look at our dogs. We adopt all over the country. So I want people to really understand that we can only bring in as many dogs as we get adopted out. So if you adopt from us, you're saving two lives. You're saving the dog that you adopt and the dog that I can go rescue as a result of you adopting that dog. And there's nothing more rewarding than bringing home a rescue dog. And being able to, that dog will be so, will have so much gratitude and appreciation for what you did for him or her. And that is, you you can never, ever buy that. You can never buy that kind of love. You can only rescue it. So I would hope that people would give rescue dogs a chance. And, you know, I also say with people who have dogs from breeders, that's cool. Just get your next dog a rescue, you know, go to a breeder, but get a rescue dog, balance it out, right? You know, that's what I would really hope for people, that you really, really become a part of the solution and not continue with the problem of, you know, overbred dogs or dogs that are, you know, designer dogs, whatever. Bring in your next dog from a rescue and really find out what love means. I always think it's cool. Now, most of our dogs have either come from a shelter or from a sort of I call it like informal rescue where like somebody just kind of found a dog and then it kind of ends up with us, you know? Yeah. But I I always think that it's cool, especially if you're a first time dog owner, if you're somebody who loves dogs, but maybe you're not like super savvy. Like, I think it's amazing to get a dog from a rescue that really knows the dog and, you know, can really help you find the right fit for you and your family. Absolutely. Multiple dogs, they can help you with introducing the dogs. And I believe you guys even kind of provide training opportunities. Yes, we do. We do. And that gets, that harkens back to when you were talking about 
applications and why they're so lengthy and may ask so many questions. That's exactly right. Rescues really want to match their potential adopters with the right dog. For one, for so they don't have to bring back the dog and that they're happy with the dog and the happy the dog is happy. And then if they have other dogs, that the pack gets along. And you know, really good rescues will always take back their dogs, no matter what. I mean, we have people that have adopted from us 10 years ago and because of a a, a death in the family, a financial situation, whatever change, they will bring them back to us and we will always take back our dogs. Great rescues do that. We want it, we take care of our dogs for life. We don't want you to bring back the dog. But that's another thing with a rescue. Most rescues will take back a dog if your situation changes. So that's the other beauty of a rescue. We're invested in our dogs and we want our adopters to be invested in the dogs that they get from us. Oh my gosh, you guys just sound like such a great organization. I'll make sure that we have links in the show notes so everybody can find out more about Westside German Shepherd Rescue. Yes, and also I want to say if you do live in LA or if you're out visiting to Los Angeles, come meet us. We have monthly hikes with our dogs that volunteers can go take on hiking trails with uh, with other people. We can have 20, 30, 40 dogs all hiking together. It's beautiful. So if you're ever in LA and you want to come and volunteer with us, or just see our facility, please come. Please come and meet us. We'd love to have you. You know, I am actually might be going out to the West Coast next year, so I might have Woohoo! Erin, <laughs> you must come by. You must come by. Susan, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I so appreciate you giving me this time and letting me talk about Westside German Shepherd Rescue. And, and I, I so appreciate what you're doing. You're doing exactly what we need more of is to get the word out about what we all do in rescue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to Susan and Westside German Shepherd Rescue for sharing their story with us. I really appreciated getting to hear more about the effect of COVID and now the post-COVID world on the rescue and shelter community. It's something I've been seeing headlines about in the news and and hearing about from some of the local organizations. And I appreciated getting to hear Susan's perspective and experiences with this whole situation also. And I guess I'm always just interested what is the motivating factors behind these trends. I'm sure it's a combination of things. You know, is it strictly an economic impact? Is it a lack of housing options that, you know, pet-friendly housing options? Does it all just come back to expectations that people had inaccurate expectations or did they just look at having a dog as temporary and returnable after COVID? I'm just always curious. And like I said, I'm sure it's not any one thing. I'm sure it's a combination of things, but I'm always somebody who wants to try to have that upstream view and figure out like, well, what do we need to change? What do we need to fix? Where do we need to educate? What resources do we need to provide to, you know, prevent, to mitigate the situation from happening? And I appreciated hearing more about the philosophy behind the adoption application process. Uh, We touched on this when we talked to Danny and Ron's rescue also, but I think it's important. So many of us hear people say things like, oh, I could have joined the FBI easier than adopting a, a dog. I could have, uh, you know, adopted a child sooner than I could have adopted a dog from a rescue. 
And so I hope this gave some more insight about what a rescue is really trying to do with making the right match for the right dog with the right family and having more information enables them to do that. And they're also looking, you know, for such a good fit that you're not going to be bringing the dog back to them. And it makes me wonder about organizations that have less stringent guidelines for their adopters if they have a higher percentage of dogs being returned. I don't know the answer to that. I'm just wondering. With the holiday season and end of the year giving coming up, I hope that you will consider supporting organizations like Westside German Shepherd Rescue or your local animal shelter or rescue organization in your giving. I'll of course have links in the show notes for you so that you can find more about Westside German Shepherd Rescue, make a donation, follow them on social media, and all the things. And also, I'll have a link in the show notes to a two-part special episode that I did last year with the organization Be More Dog that I volunteer with, where we support pet owners in under-resourced communities by providing free veterinary care and other supplies. So if that's something you'd love to learn more about, make sure you check the links in the show notes. And of course, we would always love for Be More Dog to be considered in your end of the year giving also. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores or on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.